Welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf, our ongoing salute to women in the turf industry. I'm Rick Wolfel. My guest is Jennifer Torres, the superintendent at Westlake Golf and Country Club in Jackson Township, New Jersey. A U.S. Army veteran, Torres got a late start in the turf industry. She was nearly 30 years old before enrolling in the two-year program at Rutgers University. But over the course of her career, she has become a strong advocate for the industry and for the people in it. We're proud to have Jennifer Torres as our guest on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. Jennifer, welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. We are honored to have you. You've done an awful lot for the turf grass industry and the people in it, and we really look forward to having you as a guest today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, and I look forward to doing all I can to continue to uh, lead the women and, and, and be a part of this movement with, with women in turf. Let's start out with what you're doing now. You're the superintendent at uh, Westlake Golf and Country Club in Jackson Township, New Jersey, which is about uh, an hour from New York City for those not familiar with the area. Uh, this is your second year as the superintendent. What kind of challenges have you been dealing with going through uh, the winter months? As we're doing this, it's pretty cold outside, but through the winter <laughs> months and, and getting ready for spring. Um, we've been, just been trying to keep the course cleaned up and um, you know get things ready for a pump house replacement that's going to be taking place early this spring. You know, m many meetings with with the powers that be to make sure that everything is um, ready to go once that comes in, and you know just staying on top of things and getting ready to open back up as of March fifteenth. With my fingers crossed. <laughs> Your golf course is part of a 55 and over community. It's a very family-friendly environment, isn't it? Particularly for retirees. Very much so. In terms of what you had to deal with last year and you and your peers around the country, mid-March comes along and golf courses in New Jersey are being shut down uh, by Governor Murphy because of COVID issues. Why don't we take a step back and have you review what you had to go through to get through that and put a system in place that would maintain the golf course while still protecting uh, the members of your team as far as uh, their health was concerned? Um, fortunately, I was able to bring the majority of my crew back minus a couple that have health issues that were kind of concerned, which I, I told them, go ahead, stay home. You know, when you feel comfortable, we'll bring you back on crew. Um, I ended up in those early days, it was hard to find the masks for everyone. So um, Rick, I'm sure you remember me making that, uh, the masks and um, sending them uh, basically around the world. I have a few that are across the pond too, just to try to keep my guys safe. We implemented single person to a cart and kind of just continued to do normal maintenance, fortunately, because I had my entire crew in. Uh, many other courses had to cut back on things that they were doing and, and kind of reinvent the wheel. But luckily, here at Westlake, they, they realized that they didn't want to uh, neglect the course or have anything different going on 
during the pandemic. So we were allowed to go forth and uh, do business pretty much as usual, just um, just at a distance, basically, with our crew. The thing that struck me about all that, and we talked last year while all this was going on, is the concern that you had for the health of your team and the issues that they were wrestling with, uh, their health, uh, concern for their income, the welfare of their families, all that. And it's not unique to you, but I was impressed by the remarkable sensitivity that you showed through all that uh, for the folks on your team. You know, I've been in shoes where we struggled, so I, I try to not forget where I came from, where my roots were, and um, make sure that my team knows that I've got their back no matter what. And uh, if that means that they can't come to work because they're afraid of, of getting something because, you know, I, I have a member that has gone through cancer and, you know, it, he was at risk. So I made him know full aware that, you know, stay home until until you feel comfortable coming back. Let's talk about where you did come from, upstate New York, and you have a remarkable story. It might be said uh, your upbringing and the way you grew up uh, really prepared you for a career in the turf industry. You grew up on a farm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I grew up on a little farm uh, just outside of the Figure Lakes region, not far from Watkins Glen, Corning, Corning New York area. Raised dairy cattle and uh, was one of three girls and, and my dad only had one son. So there, there wasn't any job that wasn't uh, ours to do as well. <laughs> and you got accustomed to the idea of working after school in the summertime. And I know you played some softball, but the work on the farm had to be done before you played softball. Yep. Um, our, our priorities came first. And if our priorities weren't taken care of, we didn't get to go play. So, um, you know, <laughs> I appreciate the way my parents brought me up. After high school, you went into the Army. What uh, led you to decide on going into the military? My big factor was just the cost of going to college. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do uh, after I graduated. I thought I wanted to go into the, the graphic design and stuff like that. But I really, I really didn't like computers. So that wasn't a path that I really wanted to go down not knowing for sure what I wanted to do. So, and the fact that my parents, you know, struggled already, I didn't want to put that on them. So I had a couple other friends that were looking at the military and I decided why not, you know, um, if they're going to pay for my education, I give them four years of my life and, and then I can have my education and, and my parents wouldn't have to worry about who's flipping the bill. After you got out of the army, you, um, had a job for a while and then more or less migrated over to uh, the Fort Dix area in New Jersey. Uh, your husband had a civilian job there then and now, and uh, they needed somebody to uh, drive a tractor on the golf course. And that's kind of how it all <laughs> yeah. got started, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it happened by chance. I mean, um, I had a neighbor that was uh, a assistant superintendent at the time yeah at the time I was doing home daycare and uh, it was nice to be home with my kids like I've said in the past um, I enjoy being there but it was definitely not the career that I saw myself following for the rest of my life and um, just by chance you know uh, Dan Mears stopped by and ended up being a neighbor and and uh, 
we got talking one day and I said, you know, do you need any, um, any help? And as we all know in this business, help is hard to come by. So uh, I ended up you know, getting my foot in the door there and uh, continued on. And from there, decided to go into the turf program at Rutgers. And who was it that really influenced you to take what was a huge step? It would be a big step for anybody, but at the time, uh, you were married and had three kids. <laughs> Maybe that's why I went. I wanted to get away from the No. Um, uh, well, I was at Fort Dix. John Huda, the superintendent there, and Dan Mears, the, my mentor that got me into the business, just said, hey, you know, you look like you enjoy doing what you're doing here, and we need more people like you. Uh, and that Rutgers was just up the road, was a phenomenal school, and, and why not try it? So uh, I talked to my husband and, and talked with my kids, although they were young at the time, and said, you know, there's going to be sacrifices, but in order for us to have a better life, mom's got to go to school. So they they hopped on board, and, and uh, I went to school in 2005 and 2006 during the winter. The program at Rutgers, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, the two-year program is two semesters of uh, 10 weeks each, if I remember correctly, and then uh, an internship in between them. And the thing that struck me, and we've talked about this in the past, being a little bit older than a lot of the students who would be in that program and having the family responsibilities, you were really committed to it and very serious about it from the outset. You were very focused, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, I knew that this was a career that I wanted to continue and I wanted to give my best. So um, I was all in right from the start. You know, it, it meant staying home and studying those nights when, when some of the other kids in the class, the younger kids, would go out and, and party, which, you know, all college kids do. I was at home studying because I, I, I wanted to be the best that I could be. And I didn't have, a lot of them had a golf background, whereas I really didn't. I had just started in the industry. So, you know, I went full bore into learning as much as I could. And then having the chance during that time in between semesters where you could interact with your instructors and ask them questions in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And a lot of people in a classroom environment, and you had, what, 30 or 40 students in your class, a lot of people are hesitant to ask a question in that kind of setting. I know I was when I was in college to my detriment because they're afraid <laughs> of looking foolish this, that, yep. or whatever. And by being in a one-on-one -on -one situation, it was more comfortable for you, I presume. And definitely, and, and being able to ask those questions maybe before the rest of the class got there um, kind of gave a heads up to the instructors of maybe not everybody's grasping. If, if, if I wasn't grasping it, maybe there were other people in that class that really weren't understanding it. So it kind of gave them a heads up on stuff that they may want to reiterate um, in the class that following following day. Getting all that in a two-year period, that could be a bit overwhelming, I would presume. <laughs> it is. It's definitely <laughs> More than a bit. <laughs> More than a bit. <laughs> but what was it like for you to have this, be in the sea of information and just absorb all of that? Um. 
the structured way that they they did it at Rutgers was great. I mean, you knew from from day to day what you were going to have tests on and uh, what you needed to focus on. So, you know, grasping it for that, that making sure what you did well, and then realizing that there is so much wealth of information out there and the wealth of people to reach out to as well, it made it a lot easier. And I think, too, within the two-year program, they know the people enrolled are people that likely as not have careers, either they're working in the turf industry or they're working at some profession. So they're going to be serious about this. It isn't like they're 18, 19 years old, right out of high school, and maybe aren't as focused as they might be later on. Some of them, some of them. I mean, there were some younger kids that were you know, not per se fresh out of high school, but uh, you know, quite young compared to what I was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, after you finished school, you worked at a couple of places as an assistant, uh, worked at Makefield Highlands in Pennsylvania as the head superintendent for, what, I guess, four years there? About four years, uh, eight years total, I was at Makefield. What was that experience like getting used to being a head superintendent for the first time, where you've got, Obviously, you're responsible for maintaining the golf course, and you're going to get blamed for whatever goes wrong. But all the administrative tasks and the paperwork that, that goes with it. I think I, I kind of felt comfortable doing that because I already did quite a bit. Mark was, was one to kind of allow me to do many of the things so I could learn. So adjusting to it wasn't really a, a big issue for me. I, I think the main issue was putting in even more hours because I was also you know, doing my job out in the field, but knowing I had to do those administrative tasks behind the scenes too. So um, learning to do that work-life balance that we all kind of have trouble with sometimes. <laughs> I would not know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that thought never crossed my mind, Jennifer. <laughs> I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You have gotten involved in a number of leadership roles or number of roles where you have been extremely visible. And I'm going to start with National Golf Day, which you have been involved with. Uh, the event started in 2009, was canceled last year because of COVID. But why don't you speak a bit about what National Golf Day is about and, uh, and how you got involved in it, why you're so passionate about it? <laughs> okay. Um... It started with a, a very good friend of mine, CC Peabody. Um, she was our executive director at the time for GCSANJ um, and the Turf Association. And she said, you know, if you want to make this a full-fledged career, you need to get out there. You need to network. You need to get involved. Um, and she pointed me towards the uh, Grassroots Ambassadors Program through GCSAA. And they are the ones that that work with We Are Golf to have National Golf Day every year in Washington, D.C. Uh, I first attended in 2018. They did a service project on the National Mall. Uh, my, my son actually uh, joined me on that trip. We went down and, and actually got to aerate the National Mall. Um, so every time I see pictures of that, that sacred area to me, uh, it brings tear, tears and, and chills to my spine, you know, knowing that I was there and and, and had a part of making making it a better place. Going down there, we also focus on, the, the, the key thing is focusing on educating our 
lawmakers, our leaders. They have a task that they do every day, and they don't always understand what it takes for us to do our jobs. So getting down there, talking to them, expressing our concerns and, and things that we need help from them to be able to do our jobs correctly. Um, we we work hand in hand I mean, with, with the pandemic. If we hadn't had those relationships prior to the pandemic hitting, I don't think our industry would have done as well as it did. Um, we were able to, to reach out to the lawmakers and, and say, these are the things that we can do to make golf safe. And, um, you know, since we had that uh, relationship, they, they understood us. What advantage is it to be able to go into a lawmaker's office, meet them face to face and explain a little bit about what it is that superintendents do? I think a lot of people are not totally aware of what superintendents do and how much they care about the environment. We'll get to that in a second. But to be able to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, the fact that you're a veteran obviously helped. But to be <laughs> able to look a congressman or congresswoman in the eye and say, these are the issues that we need your help with. I, I think just being that face-to-face, that -face, you represent the, the people you're, you're uh, talking about and explaining to them really why we do the things we do, you know, why we need certain chemicals to do our job, that we're not, we're not putting them down in a, a, a way that's detrimental to the environment, that we all go, we all have educations, um, we're held at a standard, that there, there's a process that we have to do things, there's a rep, record keeping and the whole process of what we do so that they can understand why we do it and why if they ban certain products from our our uh, our cupboards it makes our job harder to do it efficiently and effectively for the environment as well do you foresee any new challenges with a new presidential administration and with the senate anyway changing hands a different mindset toward government regulation um, I think we are a little scared in, in the way things could possibly go. Um, with the Trump administration, we kind of had a little bit of, um, not so much him in our, our backside, but his policies basically um, kind of helped us. Whereas with, with the new administration, there, there could be a few uh, hiccups or, you know, scares to us. Uh, Biden's very uh, environmentally maybe going to the other side um, with some of the, the policies he's making. So that's why, again, we have, you know, our grassroots ambassadors, we have GCSAA at the table talking and explaining why we need certain things. It's, to, it's not only to protect us, it's to protect the environment and it's to protect, you know, our, our whole country. Let's talk a bit about environmental stewardship. And I hear this from every superintendent that I talk to or bring up the subject with. And I don't think people that are not avid golfers really understand how much all of you care about the environment. <laughs> there basically is no more passionate group of people about environmental stewardship than golf course superintendents. Some might equal you, but they will not 
surpass you. And it's obvious if you talk to anybody that works in your profession, anybody who is responsible for maintaining the health of the turf, maintaining uh, the health of the wildlife that may be on your property, how much all of you care about the environment. So I'll have you get going on that for a few moments and educate our listenership, uh, those that are watching this today, just how important uh, the environment is to you. It's the forefront. If we don't take care of the environment, we won't have a business to be in. <laughs> if we didn't love what we did, we wouldn't be getting up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to make sure that we're here to provide a course for everyone to play on. So much stigma has been brought to, to the golf industry by many that, that we're just the, the ones that pollute everything, that we fertilize everything and we spray chemicals for no reason. And that's exact opposite. We use our education, we use the testing, we use our universities that uh, do studies to, to help us make our decisions on you know what chemicals are we gonna put down? How much are we gonna put down? How, you know, how much needs to be put down at a certain time? When to stop putting it down? Um, New Jersey's got laws now in place where you cannot, you know, apply fertilizer after the the 31st of October, um, and it, it was brought about by you know reasons that were necessary. So you know, if we didn't love what we did, we definitely wouldn't be in this business. You know, I can come to work now and I can watch the bald eagles fly across my course, and you know, how many people can say that? And they're flying over a golf course. They're eating the fish out of the ponds. So we must be doing something right. How has your profession changed in the time that you have been in it? And there are more regulations now about things, but the profession in general of golf course superintendent, uh, how has that evolved or changed in, over the course of your career? I, I think we're just we're getting more and more involved. We're not sitting back and, and waiting for decisions to be made that are going to affect us without being at the table. we got to be there and be involved. Are there some people that maybe are not all that comfortable with that, or is that starting to change? There would have been a time when superintendents were expected to be seen and not heard, <laughs> and perhaps not even seen. I, th I think that's changing somewhat. You watch a... Uh, PGA or LPGA tour event on TV, they'll always mention who the host superintendent is. There would have been a time that would not have been the case. Now you're getting a little more visibility and hopefully people are becoming more aware of all that is involved in, in what you do. Um, and, and I believe that more and more are feeling more comfortable coming out and, and having the light kind of shown on them to trying to debunk all the, the negativity that, that has been brought on in the past. And uh, the, more, the more we tell our stories, the better it gets. There are not a lot of women in the profession. There are starting to be more, and we are highlighting women in this series and the remarkable contributions uh, that they have made. But what do you think needs to be done to make the profession more appealing to women there are a lot of sacrifices involved it's not a conventional nine-to-five job for <laughs> sure that's the understatement of the week yeah. uh, but to make it more appealing you know to anybody not just women but anybody wanting to go into the profession i think we need to do a better job of getting out there and even 
letting people know the job exists. Um, I want to get with, you know, our 4-H and our Future Farmers of America programs and, and kind of reach out to the kids before that they're even making a decision on what they want to do for a living. Because so many people, I mean, I didn't know this job existed until my neighbor kind of came knocking at my door. Um, and even coming from an agricultural background, you know, I, I never thought about it. So I think we need to do a better job of just getting out there and, and looking for people and, and, you know, showing them that it exists. You have three children. All three of them have worked <laughs> with you at one time or another. Your son is looking at going into the profession. That has to make you feel awfully good as uh, a parent because not only does he respect what you do, but he understands what he's getting into at least in theory. <laughs> I hope he does. <laughs> um, it, it looks like a possibly winner of next year, possibly at the Rutgers program. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. And, and my kids have learned a lot just by, you know, working for me. It, it wasn't so much the free labor because they all got paid, but they, they realized that, you know, you had to work uh, to achieve things in life that it's just not handed to you. So what would you say you're proudest of in terms of what you've done with your own facilities but also the impact you've had on other superintendents and now becoming a leader in the profession if you will or becoming a visible uh, spokeswoman for people in your profession um First and foremost, I, I am very thankful for, for Alicia Schwab when she first, you know, kind of made the push for the women in golf movement um, and getting our stories out there. Um, people like her, you know, helping to, to get the word out that, that we exist. Um, and, and if I can be a face for that, thanks to the, the article that was written, I am so proud to be a mentor and honored to represent our industry and, and hope to bring more people into it, female or male. You've always uh, approached it that way. And I think because of circumstances, you became more visible rather suddenly. Not everybody <laughs> would want to, to be in that position, but you've really embraced it. I have. I mean, I, I'm still not comfortable getting up and, and talking in front of a crowd, um, but I'm getting better at that. Because I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm proud to represent the women and, and the people of this industry to make it better. Jennifer, we thank you ever so much for all you have done for the game, all that you have done uh, for me personally, as far as providing uh, insights and uh, access to people. It has always been a pleasure working with you and uh, we appreciate all you do for the game, and I know your peers and your members do as well. Thank you. Uh, anything I can do, like I say, uh, um, I'm all for the movement, all for uh, the industry. Jennifer Torres, our guest on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. We thank all of you for joining us on this podcast. My name is Rick Wolfel. We invite you to join us next time.